This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Does anybody need a sermon outline today? If you do, hold up your hand. If you didn't get one, hold up your hand. You get a sermon outline. And Heather, we're going to be looking at our theme verse in a minute before I start Jeremiah 29, 11, in just a minute. But also, uh, we're going to look at our book of the day, God's Dream Team by Reverend Tony Cook. God's Dream Team. And how many know that when you're a Christian, you're not just a single person, but you're part of a team. You're part of God's team. And, and uh, Reverend Tony Cook comes here a couple times a year usually, at least once. A lot of times, a couple times a year he comes to our church, teaches a lot of things. But he's, he's a general in the body of Christ. And he really, really, really has an anointing for church members to show them how to hook up with God's plan and be a part of God's corporate plan to change their region, to change the nation, to change the world. And this is a really excellent book to help you see how to hook up with the team that God placed you in. And uh, your team is the church you go to. Amen. You know, uh, I think about what they say about basketball. You, you can have a great, a, great, a great guy that makes shots at a basketball team, but how many hands does it, make, does it take to make the basket? It takes ten. Because <laughs> if you don't have those other four guys playing with you, you're not going to be set up to make the shots. Amen. So how many people does it take to cause a pastor to do great? All the people takes to surround the pastor help him do great. You know, I, I praise God for the people that came in early this morning to clean up after the wedding. I got all the cooling going and everything set up really good to do a good job. Got the sound going right and things like that. But that's all part of this team here to do things to help you to receive from God. And so God has a part for you in that. See that verse up there, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven in the NIV. Are we ready? Okay. Every year in our church... We seek God for the coming year, what I call a theme verse that we want to build our ministry around for the year to help the individuals. But this verse here is what God gave me for 2017 for the church. It's on your bulletin if you have a bulletin and on all the literature we put out this year. But God said this. He said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope at a future, plans to give you hope. At a future. And the people that come here regularly have heard that over and over and over again since January 1. But I know we've got a lot of visitors today, a lot of first-time people, and people that come occasionally. And so particularly, this is for you. You've got to know this. God knows who you are. He knows where you live. And God's the one, before you were born, had a plan for your life. And there's a lot of things you can fumble around in doing and stumble around in doing. There may be things, things that people tell you ought to be doing and things that uh, people try to force you into doing. But the thing is, God's the one that has a plan that you're supposed to be doing. And when you do what God called you to do, we're going to look at some things today about being able to walk out that plan and follow the plan. But you do what God wants you to do, there may be roadblocks. There may be some Stumbling places sometimes, but the bottom line is, at the end of your life, when you die and you go to heaven, you're going to have joy. You're going to have peace. You're going to have fulfillment. You're going to have contentment. And the main thing is, your life that you lived, you'll leave stuff behind you called a legacy. And that will impact and affect the people, the next generation when you leave, not to count all the ones you've packed into this life. Because God, God wants your life to touch somebody. To change somebody. And the thing is, we've got to follow it. And, you know, I, I, I think about something I learned years ago. I lived in Indiana for 54 years. That's way out east from here, a couple thousand miles in the Midwest. And Indiana, I think, has got more cows than people. And more cornfields than highways. And I thought we had some traffic jams out there until I come to California. I thought we had some road construction until I come to California. But the 12 years I've lived here... Going down the 15th into that area down there, it seems like all I've seen for 12 years is blocking off lanes to make more lanes. Blocking off lanes to make more lanes. But let me tell you the spiritual side of that for your life is this. Listen to this. I, I recognize 
that it's very inconvenient sometimes when what happened? We used to have four legs, now we're down to two. And you got the bottlenecks, but I know that this construction is going to make life better because when they get rid of this and open back up, we're not going to have four lanes, we're going to have six lanes. And sometimes in your life, now listen to this, it's going to help somebody. Sometimes in your life, there's some construction going on. And you're thinking, what happened? It used to be a lot better than this, but sometimes when you're being reworked, and God's changing things around you, it's inconvenient for a while of what you're going through. But once you get through that, that all of a sudden you're six lanes instead of just four lanes, you're going to be able to have more power. You're going to impact more people. And you're going to have more joy than you ever have. I don't mind going south now when those lanes are all open like that because I know I get out of this way, man. We just zoom right through it. We keep on going. And it makes me quickly forget what it was like for two or three years when they had it cut down. But now for a long time, we're in the fast lane movement. Amen. And so just remember that. Where you are in life right now, if you're going through a hard time under construction right now, don't gripe. Just get up and leave earlier. That means get up and pray sooner. Amen. And Jesus will change your life forever. Somebody give the Lord a hand. All right. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. Verse 24, and we're going to start at Acts 20, 24, and we're going to end at Acts 20, 24. But I want to look at it as we start into this morning's message. And after what all Pastor Dave said about me, I better preach real good. <laughs> Amen. But I'll, I'll, I'll yield to the Holy Ghost and let him. But you notice that title, Are You Running Your Race or Is Your Race Running You? Are you running your race, or is your race running you? And Katie told me, she taught the young people the other night, or actually Norma did, right? One of you did, about the staying in your lane. That, that was youth. Standing, standing in your lane. But anyway, uh, what, this, what this comes down to, what we're going to see, is too many Christians allow outward circumstances or difficult people determine the direction in life that they're going, instead of using their faith and allowing God to bring to pass his plan for their life. They just go with the flow, in other words, instead of being willing to change some things. And so we're going to look today at how you can finish what you start that God puts in your heart to do. So Acts 20, 24. We're going to go back and look at this verse before this. But anyway, Paul ends up this discourse to teaching people this. He said, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry. You know, it says finish my course with joy in the ministry, which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And so many times in the New Testament, the Bible refers to our individual Christian lives as a course or a race. And so Paul said he's going to finish his course with joy. And, of course, our theme verse uh, we just read a minute ago and talked about, God calls it a plan. And so God wants you to finish the plan. You know, I think about uh, sometimes I come down Linwood Road, if we're cutting down from uh, Linwood going down towards Chuck's shop down there. How many have noticed about a half a dozen houses on Linwood Road somebody started years ago that never got completed? You know, they, I, I think they, the money dried up and things like that. But I look at those houses all the time and think, man, I wish there's something I could do with that. I wish I could capitalize on what they didn't finish there. But the thing was, they had a good plan. Looks like good houses. But a plan's no good if you don't finish it. And so in your life, you can have big dreams as a young person. And uh, where, where's Ryan at? Ryan, uh, when the high school graduates were standing up here a couple weeks ago, I really liked the way Ryan expressed his dream and his plans for life. And so, Ryan, follow through with those things that you said. Get that education. Follow through. Complete what you talked about. Finish what you're going to say you're going to start. And that's like Christians. I can't tell you how many Christians I've seen in the last 37 and a half years tell me, Pastor, 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 I'm so excited. God showed me. Well, that's really good that God showed you, but that after God showed you, it takes some faith to walk it out and finish it. When God shows you something, He wants you to finish what He showed you. 
And that's what we're going to look at today of how to finish what you started. Instead of letting life control you, you've got to control some things. Amen. 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 And so uh, our, our individual race, our plan for that God's given us is what God wants us to do in life. And so our race, it's like a marathon, not a 60 yard dash. You know, I know the things have probably changed since the 1950s, 1960s and track and things. But I used to run the 60 yard dash. And that was, do they have a 60 yard dash anymore? Somebody said, just speaking a foreign language. Okay. Anyway, that's little short races. I used to be good at the little short races. But your Christian life is not just one little sprint. Your Christian life is a marathon. Your Christian life's going to go for a while. You're going to run. You're going to get tired. You're going to want to quit. You're going to think, man, I can't go any further. But the marathon runners, they keep on going. Somebody, sometimes somebody splashes water on them. They give them a drink. They give them a sip. They fan them. They keep on going. And, you know, that's part of what your Christian fellowship is with Christians. Sometimes you need to be around other Christians to fan you. Amen. Throw some water on you. Help you cool off so you pick up and get a second win and go again. But anyway, in our Christian race, through good times and not so good times, how many have ever noticed in Christian, Christianity sometimes there's great times, sometimes not so great? But the thing is, when Jesus saves you, he wants you to stay saved. He wants you to stay living for him. He wants you, if you're having a good season of life, he wants you to say, praise the Lord, thank you, Lord. If you're having a bad season of life and it's dry, he wants to say, praise you, Lord, thank you, Lord. I'm so glad you're real. I'm so glad I'm going to heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit. Amen. He wants you to do those things. He wants us to keep going and know how to catch a second wind. We need to get a second wind. But notice also that Paul said, and to finish my ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus. So he wants us to finish our ministry. And so a couple of things I want to note here. To minister means to serve. And so after we're saved, Jesus puts in our heart things we can do to serve others. Things we can do to serve others. I briefly mentioned that today. I get to serve primarily by being the overseer of this church here. Of being the one that God uses to speak into other people's lives and help bring people together as a team to work for God. We have an awesome children's ministry here. I can't even name all the children's leaders, workers we have here. We have awesome music ministry, praise team, musicians, sound ministry, ushering team, buildings and grounds. I mean, there's a whole lot goes on in this church here, but that's all people that aren't just born-again Christians. They're born-again Christians following God's plan to serve others and make it nice for other people. And so God wants you not only to be saved, but he wants you to serve. And so you're called by Jesus. You notice here that Paul said, with joy. He said to finish with joy the ministry and to finish with joy being a Christian. So you're called by Jesus to stay saved and to serve others with joy. With joy. I remember back when I was a truck driver, before I was a before I was a preacher, I'll never forget this one truck driver. We were signing some freight bills together. We worked on a truck dock. Maybe somebody don't know what that is. That's where trucks back into and unload stuff, boxes, things like that. Well, I signed a bunch of paperwork for this guy, and I wasn't a Christian yet at this time. And this guy was kind of really a sad-looking guy. He didn't look like, look like he was very happy about life at all. And, you know, I was deceived happy. I did a lot of drinking, did a lot of running around, and stayed high half the time. They didn't do blood, blood tests or any of that kind of stuff back then, so you give by for a lot of things back then. Anyway, I thought life was going pretty good, and this guy looked pretty pretty sad. I thought, boy, I wonder why this guy's so sad. All of a sudden, this guy says, you need to get saved, go to church. And I wasn't thinking anything about church at the time or any saved or anything else. The guy said that, all I could think of. Well, I don't know where you go to church, but whichever way it is, I'm going that direction. I'm not going that way. If there's a bunch of people sad as you are, I don't want to be around you. (laughs) At least I I go to the tavern and people acted happy. And so the whole thing was Christians need to have joy in living. Paul said we're supposed to finish our Christian life with joy. You know, when a Christian dies, they ought to die with the joy of the Lord. 
They ought to die because they know I'm not ending life right now. All I'm doing is laying down a physical body. I'm beginning my next phase of existence. I'm going right to heaven and I've got joy going to heaven. Amen. Christians should live every day with joy. And one way that Christians live with joy is by serving others. When you're helping other people, I think about Nadine. I was talking about Nadine yesterday. Talking to my daughter last about houses and stuff. And I talked about what a blessing Nadine has been over the years to us. A lot of people in this church, she's a real estate lady. So is her husband, Joe. He does real estate, too, amongst other things. But anyway, Nadine's a real estate lady. And she's not just a carnal, unanointed real estate lady. Nadine's an anointed real estate lady. And when Nadine helps you buy or sell property or a house, she doesn't just do that for a paycheck. She does that because she's gifted, likes to help people. And she does get paid. She does do well what she does. But the whole thing is, it's like anybody else in life, like a doctor, a school teacher, a truck driver, a factory worker, McDonald's worker, wherever you are in life, when you're following God's plan as a Christian, you've got joy. You serve people with joy. You've got a gift in you. And the thing about it, that all starts in the local church. You learn how to perfect your joy in the church. When you're in the church, the just anointing gets on you. And then out in life, when you're following God's plan, you take that anointing with you into life. Because you're following God's plan for your life. So that gives you joy as a Christian. And that gives you joy as a minister. Well, what's a minister? Well, in world thinking, a minister is somebody that preaches. But in our church right now, we have a lot of ministers in here today because ministers are servers. It just so happens my ministry is a public ministry where I stand up here and I serve. What am I serving right now? Well, Jesus said the man shall live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So right now I'm serving you a spiritual meal. I'm serving you the word of God right now. And I'm letting God through me fill your spirit up with spiritual food. But then all of you, whatever you do in life, when you're working back there in the nursery and you're helping take care of those little babies, you're serving Jesus by serving those babies by freeing their dads or the moms come in here to get served the Word of God. You know, I can't tell you how many times this isn't the message at all. Man, I'm way off track. I hope we get back to get to that. But I know this is helping people. When you're back there, Burp those little babies, feeding those bottles, changing those diapers, and keeping peace in there. You may have a dad and mom sitting in here that are on the verge of divorce. And they said, this is our last straw. We'll give God a chance one time. Well, they come in here, and they're fat fighting like cats and dogs when they come in here. And maybe both of them have been running around, maybe been high and just all messed up in life. And the, and the, Man or woman, we have a lot of men working in the nursery here too. The man or the woman or people in that nursery there take care of that baby, have ministered peace to dad and mom to sit out here. And so the dad and mom out here hear something when I get on a bunny trail like this. What's a bunny trail? That's when the preacher gets off the message and starts going a different direction, chasing things. And so when the pastor got on that bunny trail and said some things that wasn't in his head, but God brought him out of his heart to say to people, all of a sudden, that husband's sitting there. And he starts feeling real funny. And he's thinking, boy, this feels good. Well, it does feel good, but that's the anointing of God, the power of God coming down on his soul. And the wife's sitting there. And she's thinking, well, this feels good. I'm sure glad he's hearing this. And he's thinking, I'm sure glad she's hearing this. But God's working on both of them. They're both hearing this. And they get done and they leave here. And that little baby has a fresh new diaper on. Got good smelly powders on or whatever they put on. And smell good. And they're not crying. And they're happy. Because maybe that baby in the atmosphere of the home has been crying for days because of this disharmony. Maybe it's been a really, really, really messed up house. And the baby's been crying. And so the first time for days, they go back there and that little baby's smiling again. That little baby's happy again. And then dad and mom's equating that with they came into this church. Because they came into this church, their baby's happy. And then they're recognizing, 
you know what? I think that maybe something he said was talking about me. That I've got some problems. I need to change this, not just my wife. And then the wife recognizing, wow, I don't think this guy married you so bad after all. I saw something. I think I need to do some changing. And they look at the little baby. And believe it or not, that little baby's preaching the gospel by having the peace that it's got. By being changed, by being happy. That all happened because some man or some woman in the church said, God's put it in my heart, I want to work in the nursery. Because they work in the nursery, they affected that husband and wife. And who knows, that husband and wife may have a great call in their life. And it would never happen if somebody didn't want to serve others by serving in that nursery. Wow, that's a good preaching, isn't it? I'm going to go back and hear that one. Amen. So anyway, you're called by Jesus to finish what you start with joy. And here's a nugget. And I think this will help some people in here. There may be some people in here that have backslid, that have at one time served God but walked away from God. And listen to this here. It's not how you start the race that matters the most. It's how you finish. It's not how you start. It's how you finished. I said, I lived, in, I lived in the Indianapolis, Indiana area for 54 years. How many have ever heard of the greatest spectacle in racing? I heard it the whole month of May for 54 years. That's called the Indianapolis 500. That was the first big race in the world. The Indianapolis 500 started in 1911. How did I know that? I never went to it one time, but I heard it preached for 54 years out there, the race. But I know that every year back in Indiana, they have cookouts on race day, and everybody listens to the radio. And then they got modern things now, so they probably watch it or something. We always listen to the radio, and I can't tell you how many years the hotshot guys all the money was on took off fast, man. They left everybody. Then they blew an engine, or they wrecked, and they didn't finish the race. And I've seen it before. They have 33 cars in those races. I've seen it before. People in that last row in the 30-some position won the race. They started off slow, they started off last, but they finished first. And so I'm telling you right now, for you, whoever you are that's listening, don't keep looking back at how many times you've failed. Don't look back at how people around you seem like they've excelled. You look to Jesus. Jesus will help you finish first place for your race. Amen. He will help you finish first in your race. And so anyway, that's how you finish the count. So I want to teach you now how to stay in the race and how to finish with joy. And you might as well know that born-again believers are always leading somebody. We're going to be looking here at verse 17. And as we read this, Paul said... It says, and from Miletus, he said to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church. So that's talking about the spiritual leaders. But in teaching this this morning, we're not just teaching this to spiritual leaders. Everybody in here is leading somebody. Number one, you better be leading yourself to church. You better lead yourself to the Word of God. You better lead yourself to living right. But I can tell you, by experience, there's young people in your families that are watching you every day. They see you as a leader. There's people on your jobs because you're a Christian. And because you don't do the same things they do, a lot of, you know, they tell a lot of dirty jokes and they still tie a lot of things to do. You shouldn't be doing them anyway. But anyway, on your job, because you're different and because you're not afraid to speak up for what's right, whether you have a tag on your shirt that says leader or not, on your job, you're leading somebody. They're watching you. When some, when some bad news comes on the job, all the other workers look to see somebody they look up to see, what are they going to do? You're leading somebody. In the church, in the church, adults, the young people's always looking up to you. Even if you don't have position in the church of leadership, they're looking up to you. And young adults, teenagers, the other teens, and children, they're looking up to you as a leader. 
And so these things we're talking about today, they apply for spiritual leaders like pastors, elders, and people like that. But they apply to parents. They apply to grandparents. They apply to you, whoever you are, wherever you are, you need to get a hold of what we're saying today. It will help you lead better. And so, whether you're conscious of it or not, you're a leader. We're just, some of us have different positions as leaders. And so, Acts 20, 17, he called the elders together. And so, what I want to do, I want to go through these verses, the next few verses, and build you up. That help you to see some things that I've learned from Paul, how to be a better leader for the church. And what I want to do is turn these things into first person, meaning you apply these principles to yourself and how you conduct yourself in everyday life as a believer. So as we're looking at these things, turn this around on you, look it in the mirror, apply them to you and how you conduct yourself every day as a Christian. Now look at verse 18. In verse 18, he said, And then when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. And so when I look at this verse, I think of myself back in 1980, when I was a young born-again truck driver. And then I pastored for a lot of years in south central Indiana. And now as a pastor in southern California, since July of 2005. And so that's how I look at myself this. And people's watched me as a Christian since January 1980. They know what manner of life I've lived. They've watched my character. They've watched how I conducted myself when I heard good news, when I heard bad news. People have been watching me. And so I want you to ask yourself this, applying this to you. What kind of a Christian do your co-workers see? What kind of a Christian do your co-workers see? Now, might need bad days for this. What does your family see day to day? As a born-again Christian, see, Paul's talking about talking to leaders. He said, you know how I've lived day by day. You've watched me how I live. What does your family see day to day? And, you know, I think about years ago, heard a story about a pastor, ran into one of the men, was married to one of the ladies in his church, and the lady was, I guess she had a nickname, Mrs. Gossip, Mrs. Bucketmouth, Mrs. Weiner, Mrs. Complainer, Mrs. Badmouth, about church members. Anyway, this pastor ran into this lady, this lady's husband, and just talk to him, why don't you ever go to church? He said, I know every flaw, I know every mistake you've ever made. He said, I know about every member of the church, how bad they are. I know how sinful the people in your church are. My wife can't wait to get home every Sunday morning to tell me every bad thing she saw. He said, there's no way I'd ever come around your church because the way my wife talks about your church. And I think about that, about us as Christians. The last things Christians should ever do to the unsaved world is go out there and tell about our flaws. The world's looking for answers, not more complaints. The world can live miserable, just find where they are. They don't have to come in church and pay a tithe to get more misery. Hey man, they get they get it for free out there. And so we as Christians have to know the pastor. And none of us are perfect. You may see some things sometimes. Some things in our church right now, we have several different people in our church because I'm the pastor. I know their lives. We have several people going through crisis right now. We have people in our church with marriage problems right now. We have people in our church right now dealing with children problems. We have people in our church right now dealing with job problems. We have people right now in church dealing with all kinds of problems but we don't broadcast it to the world. We're the, we're the hospital. We're the therapy center. We're, we're, we're where you get delivered from those addictions. We're the place you come in to get help, not to get put down. The world is loaded with problems, but they don't have answers. 
All the people covering our church that are losing right now, they're not losers. They're going through some battles right now. The devil wants to make them think they're losing. But coming into church, they're getting answers. Amen. And so the last thing we want to do, if we want to help people, people that are looking to us for leadership in life, we don't want to go out there and broadcast the flaws of the other Christians and what's going on. All we want to do is go out there and whatever good nuggets you get in the sermons, whatever it is that somebody that, you know, there's a lot of people here, as you hug each other, as you shake hands and talk to each other, you're going to say, man, it was so good to see Lauren again. Oh, man, I'll tell you what, Lauren's smile just blessed me, but she makes my day every time she walks through the door. Or you don't talk about Patrick. Say, man, I'll tell you what, Patrick just soaks in the Word. Patrick's a man, he can't wait to get more of the Word of God in his life. And Michael, Michael's such a blessing. Every time we see Michael, he just makes my day. That's the kind of things we need to tell to the world out there. We tell the world out there that I'll tell you what, I really had a rough week. And I got into church today. Joshua introduced a new song today. And the words of that song had the answers to what I was facing. Oh, I'm so glad to go to church. You know what? You start telling your unsaved husbands that. Are these people out there in your family that go through a hard time that you won't have to bite them to church? They're going to be saying, where's your church? What time does it start? I want to go to your church. Amen. That's the kind of things we need to do as Christians if we're going to be effective. People need to know our lifestyle. It's got to be right, not just in here. In here. It, it, it can't just be in here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Everything's good. And then go out there and clock in. So you, do they still have time cards? I don't know what they do now. As soon as you swipe it or whatever you do, don't steal it. But, you know, as soon as you do what you do, then don't put on the center hat, start cussing and complaining and whining about everything. Keep your Christian hat on when you clock in. If you can say praise the Lord in the church, would you clock in and say praise the Lord? If you can say God bless you in the church, when you're clocking out, say God bless you, see you tomorrow when you're on the job. We need to live what we live all the time. Not based upon feelings, but based upon what's in our heart. None better preaching than you are shouting. Amen. Amen. So anyway, uh, what, what, what does your family see day to day? How about your, your friends, your neighbors, strangers? How about the sporting events? Wow. I've actually heard some people say they would rather go to the men's league ball games at sports park than the Christian games because some of the Christians get too mad. They said the sinners go there. They have fun, but Christians get mean. Oh, well. Hallelujah. Keep right on preaching, Pastor. Things get too serious. Uh, how about your fellow drivers on the road? Hmm. How about at Walmart? How about the grocery store? What are people seeing out there? Verse 19, Paul said, he said, uh, you know what I've been at all seasons, serving the Lord. There it is again, serving, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears of temptations, which befell me by lying in wait of the Jews. And so I, I, I put this, I hope people at Barstow see me. And I said, I've looked this first person. And so you need to look this first person. I hope that they see me serving the Lord with all humility of mind. I hope that's what the people come to this church see, that they see a man of God that's serving the Lord. I'm not proud and puffed up because I teach the Bible good. But with humility, I give the glory to God that God's anointed me to teach the Bible good. And I recognize that, that I'm not the big one. He's the big one. And I'm the servant of the people come to this church. That's what I want people to see. And, said, and, and then Paul said, Serving the Lord of terrorist temptations befell me because the Jewish people there were still operating under the old covenant and didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah yet. They were fighting him every step of the way. And so he said, I passed every test that came my way every day. I hope that that's what people say in my life. They say about me. I'll tell you what. Pastor went through a rough time, but he passed it. His family just went through some tough stuff, but they passed it. They passed the test. And see, that's what you want people to say about you, that you may have went through a rough time, but you did it with humility. You did it with joy. You did it serving God all the way through it. That, that's the greatest witness there is to the unsaved world. 
When we go through a rough time, we keep on serving God. We say, praise the Lord, He's good. We go to church, whether it's sunny or whether it's rainy. We go to church, whether it's hot, whether it's cold. We keep on coming, keep serving God because it's real to us. And we know we're not just coming to church because it's the Christian thing to do. We're coming to church because we know there's anointing here. There's help here. There's answers here. And we see enough people out in the world murmuring and complaining all the time. It is nice to come in. And hear somebody say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's good to see you again. Oh, glory to God. I can't wait till Sunday yet. I can't wait till Wednesday yet. Hey, are you guys going to have that group meets on Friday night this week? Hey, is it men's meeting this Saturday? I can't wait till men's meeting. That's what we need to see. That's what we need to live. That's what people need to see. Amen. Amen. Somebody shout to Jesus. Then verse 20 and 21. And Paul said this. He's talking to these leaders. And I'm saying this to you. As leaders of your families. As leaders on your jobs. As leaders everywhere you go. And some of you as church leaders. He said, and how I have kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. Do you know that a true man of God won't just tell you what you want to hear? He'll tell you what you need to hear. Amen. i tell you what, that's one thing about spiritual guidance. The world calls it counseling. We call it spiritual guidance for what, for uh, marriages and things like that. We don't, t- we don't take sides as a man of God. You come in and talk to us. We're going to tell you what we need to hear. We're going to say, sometimes we're going to say, lady, you need to keep your mouth shut. And then we're going to say to the man sometimes, and you know, Je- Brother Jesse, where's Jesse at? He's back there. Great man of God. Jesse did my men's meeting this last couple Saturdays ago. I like what Jesse said. Something I've said before, but I like it when I hear somebody else say it. It reminds me that I said it. It's so good, but it's the voice of experiencing why I said it. I've experienced, I learned a long time ago. When I was a truck driver going all day long for hours and hours and hours and hours, and we, we had eight children. Somebody said, wow. Yeah, that's what I said, too. Wow. Then when they got married and we had to buy twice as many birthday gifts, I said, double wow. Then when they started having babies two or three at a time for the families and stuff like that, I said, wow. Really wow. Man, I'll tell you what, you think it takes faith to buy presents for two or three kids. You start buying presents for kids that got married and had more kids and you got eight kids. All this stuff happens. It takes faith. But anyway, I said that to say this. I'd be out there driving the truck. I'd be going all day long. She's doing all the things she's doing. I'm out there suffering for Jesus in my air-conditioned truck. But they didn't always have air conditioners. Sometimes they didn't have power steering. They were big and rough and hard. But sometimes they had air conditioners. She let me know. <laughs> I would come home, and after being out there all day long with grouchy customers in the heat, sometimes, I got over it years and years and years ago, but sometimes when I came in, all I noticed was everything wrong that I could find out about the house. And so she'd, she'd have everything she did right, and I'd come in, I'd open my stupid mouth, and I'd find the one thing I didn't like instead of telling her about all the good things I did like. And so sometimes in marriage counseling sessions, we have to tell the guys, guys, shut your big mouth. When you walk in, instead of trying to fault find and nitpick about the whole household, why don't you notice all she did right when you come in the next time? Amen. Let's take up another birthday offering. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm, I'm telling you, pastors, it says, kept back nothing that was profitable to you. And sometimes we need to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. Amen. Because obviously, if you're coming in and talk to us to get some help, you need help. And sometimes... Sometimes we need to tell you, you know what? I found out what your problem is. Go look in the mirror. Now go about an inch and a half, two inches under your nose. Now what's that thing under your nose right there? (laughs) And then I say, I've got a homework assignment for you. Go down to Walmart. Depends how much money you got. You can buy the cheap gray tape for $1.99. Or you can spend $5 and get the expensive gray tape, cut you off a little piece of tape and put it across your mouth. Amen. Amen. And if you take care of the mouth, your marriage is going to improve. Well, there goes that little bunny trails, doesn't it? 
<laughs> anyway, he said, I've kept back nothing profitable to you, but I've showed you. I've taught you publicly and from house to house. Ever talking about you as believers, as leaders, what he said, I've taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I've lived these two verses all my Christian life. I've always taught people, even when I wasn't a pastor, I always taught what I do to people. I always shared about faith and how to live for Jesus. And so Paul's telling these leaders what he's done, so he's telling them what they can do. Because also he said, follow me as I follow Christ. He's telling them what they can do so they can finish their life with joy and finish their service to the Lord with joy. And so I've lived these all my Christian life. So how about you? Do you keep your faith fresh with Jesus? This is questions you need to answer for yourself. And we're talking about the goal here is, verse 24, finishing your life with joy. Finishing your ministry with joy. And I can tell you what I've learned. I have got to work at it every day to stay fresh. If life gets busy and I miss a few days, guess what? Old Grouchy shows back up again. No, that's not my wife. That's me. <laughs> that's like some, <laughs> some, somebody, somebody asked her one time said, do you always wake up grouchy? She said, no, sometimes he gets up by himself. <laughs> no. And so, no, I'm telling you, to keep your life fresh, do you like that, Mom? Reversed is okay. Now, sometimes she gets up on her own. <laughs> No, what I'm saying is this. Paul said, I keep my walk with Jesus fresh. If you want to have joy, you've got to stay fresh in your faith. Amen. I'll tell you what, you cannot come to church once a month and have much anointing on your life. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I, I think that if people can get season passes for the ball games and they can work all day long and then spend big bucks for those season tickets and then sacrifice their sleep and go to a ball game every time the doors are open at the ballpark, then why can't they come to church two or three times a week? Why can't they come to church to some special meetings and get more anointing, more blessing on their lives? Amen? We're talking about how to finish your life with joy. And so uh, keep your faith, faith fresh uh, with Jesus through prayer, church attendance, multiple services, small group participation, to receive and to give out. Did you notice what Paul said there? Verse 20, he said, I've taught you publicly and from house to house. And from house to house. And I think about a lot of the small groups we have. We have so many special groups now. I don't even know what all they are. We got young people groups. We got older people groups for the senior, for the seniors in the church, right? Is that 40 to 60s? That wouldn't apply to us, she said. <laughs> we just lead them. But, uh, we have stuff for the older single people. We have stuff for the younger single people. We have things for young marrieds. We have things for young moms. We have things for the high school kids. We have, we have all kinds of groups of meat in the church. But that's what he said. Taught you publicly. That means in the church and from house to house. And so he's talked about things to help keep your joy. Fellowship is a key part of Christianity. Fellowship. You know, I think about what I learned about the taverns. I've got to watch these bunny trails. I've got some good fill in the blanks left to go on the sheet here yet. But I was not raised in a Christian family. I was raised in a beer drinking family, in a hillbilly family back in Indiana. And my dad and mom liked the tavern so much, they moved across the street from it and bought a house. And so when I was growing up, I didn't go to church and play in the nursery. The people on the tavern had a little girl about my age, and we played in the beer cases. They had the big back room there, beer cases. We'd climb up and hide the beer cases and play around over there. So by the time I got old enough to drink myself, where do you think I got my fellowship at? I wasn't raised in church, so I got my fellowship at the same place. Dad and Mom showed me to get it over at the tavern. Well, then when I got saved and began to understand spiritual things, I saw the counterfeit church. You know what the counterfeit church is? It's the bar. The bartender was my pastor. I went to him to tell him my problems. I went to fellowship 
of the negative side with the people of the bar. We sit around, we talked about life, we talked about problems. I gave offerings to the bartender. He served spirits, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. And so I went to the tavern. It's a reverse church. It's a church on the dark side. The tavern is where people go for fellowship. The tavern is where people go to try to get answers for life's problems. The tavern is where people go to have some place to spend their extra money, etc., etc. And so after I got born in, I saw that. I see the church. That's why there's such a pull on Christians to get them out to other kind of extracurricular things. There's nothing wrong with sports, ballparks, all that kind of thing there. But you need to fellowship with Christians from the church as much as you can. You fellowship with Christians, they're going to encourage your faith. You fellowship with Christians, and you come in, you say, I just can't understand that dingbat woman. Well, you're around good Christians, you know what they're going to say? Can I pray for you and your wife? Can I pray for you guys today? I want to pray for you. You come around Christians, say, I don't understand my, my, my 16-year-old daughter. I had a bunch of 16-year-old daughters. I still don't understand them. I got probably 26-year-old, 26, 36, 46. I got a 46-year-old daughter. I might not understand them, but I understand prayer. And so whether I understand how girls think or not, it makes no difference. God knows. And so when I pray, if I, if I just go to a tavern and wine with other sinners about life and family, all I'm going to do is get depressed. All I'm going to do is want to come home and unload and be mean. But if I'm around Christians and we pray, and especially if I hear some verses from the Bible about family, about my children and my grandchildren, then that's going to give me hope. That's going to give me faith. And then when I see my children again, or my grandchildren, instead of being all depressed about them, I've got something spark alive inside of me because I went to that small group for moms. I went to that singles group. And that singles group, people of like precious faith encouraged me, and I encouraged them. I went back out to life's battles again. I said, come on, glory to God, I can do this. I can take this on again. I can win. I can win. How do I know I can win? Because I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Hallelujah. How do you know that? Because Chuck told me that small group study. Amen. That's how. Amen. How many know that's how it works? And so that's what Paul said. Publicing from house to house. And so uh, do you regularly share what God teaches? You listen to this. This is big. This is what Paul said he does. Do you regularly share what God teaches you in church with others in their homes, on the job? Do you share fresh testimonies publicly as well as privately, one-on-one? You need to share your testimonies frequently. You need to tell what God's doing. Matter of fact, that's what helped bring me into the kingdom of God was an unsaved truck driver giving me the testimony of his wife getting healed. And so I came to the family of God. Okay, verse 22 and verse 23 says, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit... Unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, or not knowing things that await me there. I just know that there's trouble ahead. It says, The Holy Ghost witness, or show me in my spirit in every city, say that bonds and afflictions await me. And so you might as well know, if you're fired up for Jesus, and you share your faith, you're going to stir up demons and religious people. Does anybody know that by experience yet? If you share your faith, and if you're all excited about Jesus, you're going to stir up some things. Not only is God real, and Jesus real, and the holy angels real, the demons are real. The devil's real. And religious people are everywhere. What are religious people? Religious people are people that know all about God, but they don't know God. Know all about God, but they don't know God. Personally, because they've never received a son, Jesus, yet. Why do you think that most of Paul's trouble, everywhere he went, was religious people he stirred up? Because these people thought they had the hotline to God. And then somebody come along 
And they're telling them, it's real simple. You don't get points with God. Receive Jesus. you got a direct hotline yourself. Receive Jesus, and that's the answer to your problems. Receive Jesus. And so, I know when I first got saved back in 1980, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, I did not know the religious people in the world until I got born again. And I started praying for people to receive Jesus as a truck driver. I'd meet people. I'd make deliveries to their warehouses on their jobs. I'd hold their hands, pray a simple prayer of salvation. And, man, I stirred up religious people everywhere because of that. They thought they had to go through the 15 hoops of their church laws to be able to get to heaven. And I bypassed the whole system with the Bible. Jesus said, you must be born again. Paul said, to get born again, you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. God raised you from the dead. And boy, I'll tell you what, religious people went nuts. When I, I would just simply do what the Bible said to do. That's what Paul was talking about here. He said everywhere he went, he stirred up the Jews, the religious people. Because, man, it, it can't be that easy. You know, if somebody's been that rotten, as rotten as you've been, it can't be that easy. I remember one day, <laughs> there's this guy on my job. <laughs> you know, I come, from, I come from Centerville. I come from Heathenville. I didn't come from the Baptist church. I didn't come from the Catholic Church. I didn't come from church. I come from Lane's Tavern. <laughs> you know, that was my upbringing. I didn't know any of the stuff that these guys all thought they do. And so this guy, I'd worked at that time with this truck dock for years and years and years and years. And to be honest, I didn't even know the guy was a Christian. You know, he's one of the people, he's, he's tripping all the time over his lip. He's so sad. You know, just sad all the time, man. No joy or anything like that. And I remember... One night I come walking into the break room, and there's somebody out there on the dock. I just prayed for a guy through the truck dock to receive Jesus. And so after I got saved, you know, I found this guy's a Christian. I thought he'd be happy. Come walking there in the dock in the break room. I said, Hey, guess what? I just I just led so and so to the Lord. And boy, here comes the religion. How do you know that? And I said, Well, Paul said in Romans ten, nine and ten. If you believe in your heart and confess your mouth that Jesus the Lord God's raised him from the dead, you'd be saved. For if the heart man believes unto the righteousness with the mouth confession made of salvation. And so he was telling me about his life. I held his hand. I said, Hey, and I had a little Bible in my pocket. I read those verses. I said, Hey, do you believe that Jesus is Lord God raised from the dead? I said, He said he did. And so I said, Will you say this prayer with me? I led him through the sinner's prayer. And so the guy But you didn't baptize him. I said, there's no water on the dock. <laughs> he said, no. He said, I can't believe you're saved. I'd already led half the company to the Lord. I remember the day I laid hands on the Baptist secretary started praying in tongues right there at her desk and the office shut down. <laughs> oh, I'd led so many people lower that job. Anyway, he said, I can't even believe you're saved. I said, well, let me ask you something. I never thought about this before. This was the wisdom of God to answer a religious person. He said, you were so mean. I thought, well, I was a sinner. Sinners are mean most of the time. You know, they're not nice guys. Sometimes Christians are too, so don't look at me so holy. <laughs> and so anyway, he said that. I said, well, I'll tell you what. And this was the wisdom of God. I said, let's compare my life with Paul's, Paul the Apostle. I said, let, let me compare me with Paul. I said, I never killed any Christians or put them in prison. And God saved Paul. And if you know, if you know the New Testament, Paul killed Christians. He put them into prison. He did a lot of bad things. I said, if God could save Paul who killed these Christians, or you think he saved me, I'm just a mean drunk. He said, I've got to think about that. <laughs> I said, keep on thinking that I'm going to keep on getting them saved. Amen. And so Paul had trouble for religious people. And so religious people in your life, you're going to have to know, you're going to have some trouble because they know all about God, but they don't really know God. And so you might as well be prepared that Christianity is not easy street sometimes. I think about, oh, another story. I remember my first family reunion I went to. I had this holiness, wasn't really a relative, she was a relative of a relative, 
And I remember that we had a family reunion thing going on in my sister's living room. I'd been born again about a year. I was doing what I always did. How many here have ever really been born again? Let me ask your hands. Have you ever received Jesus? Okay. When you received Jesus, did you want to talk to everybody about Jesus? Well, tell everybody if he's in you, you want to. Now, you ought to stay that way, too. Keep your joy. Anyway, I remember I had a bunch of relatives in the living room at this house, at this reunion, and I had a salvation track. Just a simple salvation track. On the front of it, it said, Jesus loves you. I told them how to get saved. So I was in here, and I was about to leave these people to a sinner's prayer. This old religious woman comes walking into the room there. Wasn't even my relative, but she was a relative of some of the people there. Comes in there, and she says, this man's a cult leader. I'm just a baby Christian telling people about Jesus. She said, he baptizes wrong. And I said, I don't baptize anybody. But they had this different religion. You had to baptize people in a certain way or you couldn't get to heaven. That's all we got in this room here is a bunch of sinner relatives that are going to go to hell. They don't know Jesus. And so here's this lady that just makes everybody mad all the time because she lives like the devil but condemns everybody else to hell. Didn't have a friend of the whole family, I don't think, because she's so mean. And so here I am telling these people about Jesus. She comes in telling them that I'm a cult guy. And this is back in the days of Jim Jones and the Moonies and stuff like that, so that's really fresh in the headlines. Things going on. And that's my first experience with a religious person. And so in your lives, you have to know that you go against the status quo as a Christian and let people know that God's trying to get them to heaven, not keep them out of heaven. You're going to make some enemies. That's what Paul said. And so in our lives, as we, as we cross those things, now we get down to verse 24. Now he said, but none of these things move me. He said, none of these things move me. And so there's three principles this one verse here we're going to close with, because you need to see this. And you must embrace these three principles If you're going to finish with joy, none of these things move me. You can't allow outward circumstances or contrary people to distract or discourage you from being the Christian witness that God's called you to be. You cannot allow outward circumstances or contrary people to slow you up in your Christian witness. Paul said, none of these things move me. Write this verse down, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. That means we live by the power of the Holy Spirit in us and the Word of God in us, not by what we see, not by what we feel, not by our emotions. We live by what's in us. How many here have the witness of the Spirit in your heart? You know you're a born-again Christian. You know, although you've never seen the Lamb's Book of Life, you know there's a Lamb's Book of Life. You've never street, seen the streets of gold, but you know they're real. You've never seen your mansion in heaven, but you know it's there. Because Jesus said so. So don't be moved by people trying to control your life about being a Christian or talking about it too much. Amen. Amen. And so uh, you are a spiritual thermostat, not just a thermometer. What that means is this. In following God's plan for your life, everywhere Paul went, there were obstacles. In our church here, we have several thermostats on the wall, but they're also thermometers. A thermometer that's just a thermometer tells you what the temperature is in your house. A thermostat controls the temperature, changes the temperature. A center... Our carnal Christian is a thermometer. They can tell you it's bad. I don't like politics. I don't like what's going on in our country. I don't like my neighborhood. I don't like this. I don't like that. All they're doing is telling you the climate around them. A thermostat says, I don't like it either, but I'm going to change it. I can tell you right now that this church has changed the climate in Barstow since I've been here. In the last 12 years, a lot of change has taken place, not just this church only, but many churches. But I know our church has changed the climate in Barstow. I'll tell you what, I know that through prayer, through prayer, 
and our Christian witnesses, Christians in this community, our police department does a whole lot better job than they used to. We had a, we have an awesome police department. Takes care of a lot of bad guys now. And they go to jail. I came here. All I heard was drug capital, drug capital, all this kind of stuff. Gangs coming in, gangs coming in. I thought, wait a minute. My family lives here. My grandkids are being raised here. I don't want gangs coming in. I want gangs getting saved or leaving. And they don't want to do either one of those things. Go to jail. And so we prayed. And our police department does an awesome job. If you're a gang member at Barstow, you don't want to stay around here too long. Why is that? Because there's a bloodline drawn around Barstow. It says off limits. Amen. And so, and so we are thermostats. We change the climate of our area. We change things. And so as Christians, write this down. Here's another nugget for you. As Christians, in the things you face in life, faith doesn't deny things. Faith changes things. Faith doesn't deny things. Faith changes things. And so we as Christians, mountains aren't supposed to move us. We're supposed to move mountains. Amen. We come up against these obstacles in life. Or the devil sends people across our path to try to stop us from following the plan of God for our life. We may hit a detour like we talked about, but I'll tell you one thing. By the time this construction is over with, we're moving bigger. We're going faster. We're going further. We're affecting more people than ever before. So Paul said, none of these things move me. He said, I move things. Amen, amen, amen. And so he said, neither count I my life dear unto myself. And so listen to this. If Jesus is your Lord and not just fire insurance, what's fire insurance? Well, you don't want to go to hell. So I want just enough. I want just enough Jesus, just enough born again. I can still play with the world, but miss hell. I want just enough saving. Listen, there's no way I'll come to more than one service a week. I will come to one service a week because I know it's right. Don't you try to get me to two services a week because I got my ball games. I got my TV shows. I got my things I got to do, but I'm going to go to one. Well, you've got fire insurance. But if you allow him to have, have the say-so in your life, become Lord of your life, then you're going to see your whole life change. He said, neither count I my life dear unto myself. So if he's your Lord, not just fire insurance, you're going to allow him to have the say-so in your life. You're going to allow Jesus to speak in your life about where you work, where you go to church, who you marry. <laughs> I remember years ago up in Noblesville, Indiana, I saw a sign in front of the church that I've never forgotten. It said, if you marry a child of the devil, you'll always have trouble with your father-in-law. Girls, I speak of more to girls now than I am boys. Girls, you're more gullible. Watch out, I'm the pastor. You don't have the spirit of stupid on you when it comes to who you're going to marry. The Bible tells us very clearly, there's no fellowship light with darkness. There's no fellowship of Jesus with Satan. There's no fellowship with the church and the unchurched. If you're going to get married, don't... I'm 66 years old this month. Eight children. Lots of grandchildren. Lots of church members I've helped over the years. Let me tell you the number one lie. The number one lie. Tell you what, start off with, you know, he wants something. We're not going to say what that something is. He wants something. But the number one lie is this. When I get married, I'll go to church. When we get married, I'll go to church. I'll tell you what, I'm going to throw out a sucker teaser to you right now. I'll go to church with you one or two times before we get married just to show you I can do it. Then 20 years later, 30 years later, 40 years later, miserable, 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 miserable. Because you've got those kids now, they've got plus you got place you got grandkids, and you're going to church by yourself. 
You've raised the kids in church by themselves. And most of the time, because there was no dad involved, because dad is the primary influencer for kids, whether you know it or not, they go the way of dad, not the way of mom. Then you wonder how come, and you say things like, I just don't understand. Well, right now, today, let's go on record. The Bible says, you marry a child of the devil, you're always going to have trouble with your father-in-law. That's paraphrased, but that's the way it is. And so, I'm very, 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 very serious about this. Girls of the church, girls of the church, listen to me, girls of the church. Don't marry a sinner. Don't marry a sinner. They serve a different God. And when you do, you're going to have misery, 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 misery. All right. Amen. 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 And so you must allow Jesus to be Lord of all or he won't be Lord at all. Allow Jesus to be Lord of all. He won't be Lord at all. And so anyway, so he says, finish my course with joy, finish the ministry of joy that I received from God, etc., etc. So this is where we finish up. We start here. We finish here. Don't allow circumstances or obstinate people control your life. Use your faith in God, His Word, the power of the Holy Spirit to move mountains and finish your life and ministry with joy. Amen. Is that verse up there that I closed out for the nugget verse? Colossians 2, verse 5 and 7. Just, we're not going to look at it. But that verse has helped keep me on course for all my Christian life. So I'm telling you right now, you can run your race. Your race doesn't have to run you around. Amen. You don't have to go around a circle like a dog chasing his tail but never catching it. Amen. You can do it. Let's stand up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.